the stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chickasaw native, your Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we've got Texas' favorite son. It ain't Sam Houston. I'm not talking about Jake's brother. I'm talking about the general Sam Houston. It ain't Stone Cold. It ain't Nolan Ryan. It's not even Run Earl Run Carl. It is Dave Stud Muffin Silva. He is here. He's Texas' greatest export. Dave, the man behind Billionaire Connie. You're, oh you're the brains. You're the you're, the, you're like the wizard that hands behind the, the curtain that runs the puppet on everybody. Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Everybody at home that's either listening or watching, and thank you for watching. Please subscribe. Stories on YouTube.com. But uh, it, don't keep continue. Like we're gonna continue with the legends. This is just a bump in the road that I'm on. No That's legend. right. We we don't get legends this big very often. We'll be back. Yeah. No. no, we'll be back, we, we, to guys. You know, like Hulk Hogan and Million Dollar Man later. But you know, those guys. We got the legend, Dave Silva. <laughs> when when we we're talking about Johnson, do you think we can get Dave? I said, well, hell, he, he's a Texan. You know, those Texans like to talk about everything. So, and we especially so especially when they can talk about billionaire Connie behind billionaire Connie's <laughs> oh. back. But billionaire Connie told a story on you when we had him on a few weeks ago. Oh, he, he said, did. You, you wrecked his car. Okay, okay. okay. Not only wrecked it, it, but like wrecked it and like kept wrecking it. Yeah, you kept wrecking. So it's, it's up to you to clear the air on this. Now, I have to say that I heard the story and I lived it. And um, and it is true. I did happen to curb his, his beautiful uh, black uh, BMW hubcap um, <laughs> along the curb of Chick Fil A. Those Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. <laughs> those Chick Fil. I blame Chick Fil A. Those attendants. You're driving a two hundred thousand dollar <laughs> car through a drive through at Chick Fil A. <laughs> they're they're vicious. They were very forceful. They were telling <laughs> me to hurry up and come on because the line was long. I felt pressure, and you know, I I felt it. But then I was to the point where uh, I just got to ride this out. <laughs> so what happened? How, how did it happen? Well, we were in line getting breakfast. We were at the office and and um, a buddy of ours was hungry for breakfast. And I said, well, he doesn't drive. So I said, I'll drive you. So Conrad said, he doesn't take drive. Mine. He doesn't drive. It's a long story. Uh, so I want to Bruce Pritchard. Is that his name? It's Bruce Pritchard. Oh, Bruce how, only how has old, drivers. How old is this buddy? Um, he's about... I would say he's he's our age. He's about 40. He's in his 40s. That's good. They called us 40 years old, Mr. Briscoe. <laughs> so, but but he just stopped driving and he doesn't drive anymore. So Connor tossed the keys, said, Hey, take mine. Hey, I'm happy to do it. And so we went and we ordered. And you know, some Chick-fil-A's have those double lines, and they kept on waving me on. So I was like, okay. And so I waved and I and I curved around and I hit that curb and I just oh. it was like I knew I was in it. So <laughs> I I went all the way through and then when I knew it was bad, I knew it was bad <laughs> and I knew that I, I would never hear the end of it. And my eyes <laughs> will pack the bags, pack the family up. We're moving back to Texas. It's over. <laughs> and um, we get to the office and I see it and I and I'm like, oh. and, did and, you blow the tar? No, 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 no. It was just scratched. It was just, it was just scratched, but it was, it was ugly. It was, it was like, Were both of them scratched or just? No, no, just that time, just the one. So, that time? <laughs> that time. How many times further? 
that you didn't tell him to billionaire caught him about. <laughs> look, look, fellas. Let's just <laughs> let's just stay focused. <laughs> uh, we're not the one who wrecked billionaire connie's car two thousand dollar beamer with with a guy that can't drive look all i gotta say is this whole portion of the show is going to be cut out people never hear this. <laughs> so when i we got back to the office um and of course in conrad's office everybody likes to congregate and and bs and and have a good time and and when everybody cleared out i said hey i i I, have, I think I might have scratched your rib, <laughs> knowing it was bad. And he was like, what? And he goes, you're kidding. And I was like, no, I think it's bad. And then it, the story has taken a life of its own. It's lived on. Uh, we even have had listeners of our shows uh, make action figures with uh, a scratched up rim a Dave Silva action figure with a scratched up rim on it. It's something. <laughs> so, so what did Conrad say when he saw it? No, he, you know what? He just, it was the, you know, when you're a kid and you're, you get the look of disappointment from your parents okay. and they're just like, they don't know what to say. They're just disappointed because you can't be that dumb. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's the look I got. And and I was like, I'll pay for it. Like, tell me what it, tell me what I got to do. And we'll get it fixed. And nope. Nope. No, because everybody's going to know about it. So, of course, <laughs> across our uh, long list of shows, he got everybody's viewpoint on what they thought my punishment should be. And if it was my fault or if it was his fault for giving me the car in the first place. And it, it turned out to be a big thing. So, Well, that, that's what I think. It's his fault for giving you the, that car, particular car to begin with. So. It's all billionaire Connie. You old billionaire man. They don't. They don't even know what car they're driving that day. So. I can't be trusted with four wheels, fellas. So, so are, are you back in good graces? Where you're now getting was there a second cars? time? Oh, there, there, well, there, there's been there's been scares, but nothing, nothing like the nothing like the rim. Like sometimes I just get tunnel vision when I drive. And it, it's it's not good. <laughs> what did, uh, I'll what? tell you. I'll tell you one thing because I've been in several wrecks, um, where I've rolled my cars and stuff like that. And and I've always where'd you learn to drive, like, Tom Pritchard? <laughs> <laughs> the, tell, it's, so tell us how you rode that car. Oh, so I was emceeing an awards event um, for a school district that I worked for, and I was rushing home to get my suit. And um, I ran, I ran a stop sign, and I I clipped, I clipped somebody's car. It's totally my fault, and he's the driver's fine. Um, but <laughs> my my Honda Passport rolled a couple of times, and I remember I remember it being upside down in the car, and um, I hear from the back, uh, Dave, is that you? <laughs> I was like. Seth, is that you? My buddy Seth was a firefighter in town. He's like, what happened? I said, I don't know. Get me out of this thing. <laughs> he popped the windshield that I got out. But yeah, Conrad's like, how did you beat, how are you in all these wrecks and not getting into any, uh, getting injured or broken or, or cut or anything? I said, well, I go limp. You just go limp. <laughs> you know, Mr. Briscoe once ran a stop sign and stuck a truck in, a little red truck into an orange tree. Oh, 
<laughs> and I went limp too. I went limp too. <laughs> yeah, he was he was limp before. It's a pro move. It's a pro move. You he literally, uh, Dave. I'm not kidding you. They they he and Barry Windham stuck a pickup truck in an orange tree. They shook the oh, tree I, to get it down. I wasn't the driver. I wasn't the driver. Barry was the driver, and I warned him of this of this of this uh, jump that was coming up. <laughs> But we're going about 90, 100 mile an hour, whatever it was. And that little red pickup, Dodd pickup truck. And Barry, about that time, he, oh, shit. And we we're airborne. <laughs> we literally landed on the top of an iron tree. It hadn't split yet, but we're, how are we getting out of here? And this is a busy thoroughfare. We're lucky there weren't cars coming in either direction. But I could see the porch lights of my house and the lights on the wall of my house across the field. <laughs> I had true thoughts. Leave Barry there and take off running before the cops care or, or stay and help Barry get the truck out of the car, out of the tree. So we shook that baby and finally that tree just, you could hear it splinter. Finally it split and the truck just dropped down like that. I got in front, Barry put it in reverse, hit it. Boom, boom, we're out. <laughs> we're at my front porch and by the time we got the front porch there, we saw cops, we called cars coming to the crash scene. We weren't there anymore. <laughs> I can't believe the truck was still drivable. Oh yeah, well it just landed perfect, man. It didn't <laughs> we we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't. You see that you see that that thing that lady down? I think it's Georgia where she ran up that flatbed truck. Uh huh. And, and ran ran over that one car. It looked like a looked like a damn stunt going on. Yeah, it had had to be what we looked like flying through the air, landing that hard tree. <laughs> Smokey, Smokey and the bandit would have been proud of us. It's <laughs> next to impossible to actually land the truck in the tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On top of the tree, too. Yeah, without it, I mean, it's almost impossible. The tree doesn't split. The truck doesn't yeah. fall over on its well, side. Well, it's, it's, it was splitting. It just didn't split at that time. We were lucky to get out at the time because I'm sure it would have gone head first over. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, you drove around a racetrack one time, too, didn't you? With Dixie Slater, yeah. we uh, Dickie Slater bought a brand-new Porsche, man. Dickie was a, a hot rider and a half and loved NASCAR. In North Carolina, you pass all these racetracks all the time, right? We're in Rockingham, North Carolina. So we passed, we're going to Wilmington or somewhere over on the coach. So we used to pass by there and Dickie just bought it. Man, I'd love to take my Porsche out there and run a couple of fast, hot laps on, on that track with it, just see what it would do. And I'm hoping like hell I'm not in that car when he does it. So... About, about three or four weeks go by and Dickie's getting used to that, that that steering on that Porsche. We pass by there and we look over and the main entrance, the gate was open. That gate's always padlocked and iron tight, man, when we pass by. <laughs> now that gate is wide ass open. Slater, look, 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 Briscoe. I've already looked, man. I know and I know what he's taking. He elbowed, I'm going in. I told Dickie to. <laughs> The cops in that helmet will be out of there before they get they can get here. And sure enough, we were so he, he he heads out there. Nobody we could see nobody on the track. So he makes one just a little caution lap to get to use. Hang on. So I got my seatbelt fast and I got I'm I'm buckled in now. He hits the gas, brother. We take off. We hit that first curve. Feels like we're gonna flip upside down. He hit about we were about three quarters of the way around the truck track. And I don't know why the dumbass cops went the long way when they could have just stayed there and cut us off at the pass. But they started chasing them. 
So Slater gets around, we get to that entrance there because you have to drive under the grandstand and all that stuff. We get to that entrance there. Slater's hang on. So we turn, things start fist building. He fits straight down. Man, we're out the damn gate. We're gone and we don't, uh, uh, we're about, we're about 30 minutes down the road and we see a couple of cop cars that parked along the side of the highway. Oh, we think, man, they're, they're waiting for us. We go by them at a good, good rate of speed, you know, obeying the traffic laws. We just go by them. They pass by. We, we never got caught, man. <laughs> <laughs> but Slater was so proud of himself. He got to do a lap, an official <laughs> lap around Rocky on the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I was still scared to death that whole night, man. <laughs> Thinking I'm gonna be end up in jail. Going back to Rockingham, coming home, I'm chicken, man. I hope that thing ain't open tonight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dicky, Dicky, Dicky. Well, you know, we might hit again. Not with me in the car, Dicky, but he he did it, man. <laughs> that was Dick, a legendary Dick, story there for a while. Dicky was in Europe with us one time, and Dicky was there, and he came over there. And sometimes, if, if Otto would put him in a hotel, sometimes he put him in that hotel that was booked. He put him in a different hotel, so we didn't know where he was staying. Well, Dicky's had a few drinks. He you know all the way over, all the way over. Yeah, yeah, Worked that night that he after the, after the show, he's sitting there, and all he knew that he was in room number eight. <laughs> he didn't know his hotel nothing. I have no idea how he ever. <laughs> we tried, tried. We couldn't figure out what hotel he's in. He got I'm in number eight, and he's trying to. He's explaining to people that don't speak English. I'm in number eight. I go, Ricky, Dicky, if you yell at him, it doesn't help any. It really, it really doesn't. And we speak English, and we have no idea what you're talking about. So, uh, so you're you're now compared with the legend Dickie Slater, uh, Stud Muffin. So. Good company, good company. Good, great company, <laughs> Stud Muffin. You, I know you're from uh, you're from at, at state south of the the border in Oklahoma. The Both greatest the state. Border in the great Mexico. state. The other one that you're south of is the greatest state. So, but anyway, anyway. So back back when 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 you were a kid, how did you what, what was your wrestling? I mean, how did you get involved in, in liking the sport, having the passion that you have for our, our business? You know what? As a kid, we would go. Um, my sisters and I would go to my grandparents' house, and um, it was always Saturday six oh five um, on the Superstation. It was always uh, Jim Crockett Promotions was on, and um, we would always grandma and grandpa were watching wrestling the world stops because at that time it's for wrestling and uh if we weren't playing outside we were always in front of the tv watching wrestling and and of course my aunt was a huge von erics fan so i remember going into her room and her having the von erics eight by tens up on her mirror and and it was that my that side of my family was was all about wrestling and i just fell in love with it i fell in love with um just with the presentation and the over the top and the characters and the bad guys. And I just was all in. And um, I fell in love with the four horsemen and, um, and Rick and all those, all those guys that now like, it's wild that I, they know me. I know them. I they call now them friends. work for you. You're their boss. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was through my grandparents and watching with my grandpa Um what, what city was this? This was in San Benito, Texas, right outside of Harlingen, Texas, where yep. I was born. And um, yeah, that's that's where I grew up. 
And so what did you end up planning on doing? How did, how'd you end up in the podcast wrestling business? What did you do first that got you introduced to Conrad? What'd you do that got, and why would you leave that business to come into the podcast wrestling business? <laughs> and is that why you call it the podcast wrestling business? I, I, I just, I just call it work. I don't know. <laughs> no, um, I always wanted to be involved in television um, production television production and i took well, you're a, a good looking guy and you're texan so that makes yeah, wait, sense come on now it's <laughs> come on now is right <laughs> <laughs> so um i went to school for back then it was called digital imaging now it's called cgi and it's in every movie and it's it's all over the place but when i was in school it was very new and it was it was just launching so I went to school for that and I was learning, I was learning graphic design and I was doing all that kind of stuff. And I took a side job at a little television station in Harlingen um, and started working the studio camera. And I just started asking questions. I was very um, curious about uh, technical directing and um, audio engineer and the engineer for the station. I just kept asking. They were like, wow, you're showing a lot of interest. Um, if you want, we'll teach you. So I just started learning and um, and I started directing shows and I started audio engineering shows and I started working with the satellite and it just started to become like second nature to me. And when that uh, kind of dwindled out, um, I went and worked for a school district's public relations department and I was just the straight editor. For, for the school district. And I would do all the programs and I would do all the special uh, the special presentations for the school. And I did that for a little bit. And that snowed into, snowballed into me taking a job in television news. And um, I went to Cadillac, Michigan, um, right outside of Traverse City, Michigan. And um, I worked seven years for a CBS affiliate as the assistant news director for that station. Um, and it all just, it, it all just snowballed into like different, different little events. I was in the right place at the right time. I had the right attitude. Um, I was ready to help and serve and doors just continued to open. And I ended up in, uh, Cadillac, Michigan, my wife and I, and, um, we lived there seven years. I worked for CBS. And when that finally wrapped up, I took a job back home in Texas, um, yeah, Cadillac, Michigan. That was the working home of Bobo Brazil. Remember? Oh wow! <laughs> Benton Harbor, Michigan, was his actual home, but he always advertised Cadillac, Michigan. Well, there wasn't much in Cadillac. I, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't say Traverse City, but, um, <laughs> but I, I'm glad that's our claim to fame. But at that point in your life, how many cars had you wrecked? Um, <laughs> there was one time in Cadillac. Oh, where I wrecked a car. But it wasn't really my fault. Are you just unsafe or are you just like Tom Pritchard? You just don't pay attention. <laughs> Please don't tell you me like Tom Pritchard. That's the worst driver next to his brother I've known. And you're just, and you are just like Tom Pritchard. You're like the best guy in the world. You just can't drive a motor vehicle. <laughs> I'm always a passenger. I'm always literally in San Antonio one time. They're they're going, they're starting to skid sideways and they think they're gonna roll the car. And Tom's with Kane and and t t Tom looks at Kane, he goes, Oh, we're screwed up. And Kane goes, why are you looking at me? <laughs> Tom's driving. He's just like looking at Kane like I was just talking to him. And like, yeah. 
yeah. this time in Cadillac, I was driving my little Honda Accord and our television station was on the very top of a mountain um, so that we could broadcast into the upper peninsula and stuff. So uh, it was a real snowy day and we weren't making it up the mountain. So I got to a part of the mountain where like I was, I was in a ditch. Let's just say it. I was in a ditch and um, they sent the truck, the, the truck down to get me. And I went back up to the mountain and as the day continued, as the morning played out, the reporters kept on saying, Hey, I slid into the ditch. Um, I need a ride. Hey, I can't make it up the hill. So we kept on um, bring, picking up these reporters and taking them up to the station. Well, it, I found out that my car was the bumper for all the other cars running into the ditch. <laughs> so that car was totaled, but it wasn't really my fault. I just went into the ditch no. first. <laughs> and then I, I, I guess I saved all my employees and made them come to work that day. <laughs> You're like an See, Avenger. You save people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But the good thing is that after that happened, I got a company car. So well, that, was that, was a brave, that was a brave company. <laughs> so, so you make your move back to Texas from Cadillac. Yes. Where, do, where do you go? God bless that? Texas, by the way. Where do, you, where, where, do you, where do you go that God forsaken state? Where? <laughs> where do you... I went back to my home television station, the one I grew up watching, which was an ABC affiliate, Channel 5. And I worked there for 11 years. And as I was the assistant news director for that station, um, I started listening to wrestling podcasts. And um, Which ones? I, I started listening to the Taz show. And when Taz was on CBS radio and, um, and I- Did Taz, did Taz, did Taz do that by himself? Did he have a guest host? I can't remember. I remember, I remember Taz doing it. But yeah. I don't, he had a producer. He had a producer. He mostly did it alone. He would have guests every now and then, yeah. but it was him and his producer, which I guess would serve as a co-host. And um, they would bounce stuff off each other and, and and do silly things and all that kind of stuff. So I started listening to the show and he did this thing um, where on Wednesdays they would call him Hump Day Promos. And he would open it up to listeners to cut promos for the show and then he would grade them and give them a yes or no. And if you won, you'd get a t-shirt and it was a big deal. So um, I sent one in and I won the first week immediately. And um, then I just. What, what every, was your question you said? Well, um, I I can't remember what was the, what the first promo like because he would give out a subject like cut a promo about ABC, and then I would I created this this character called DST Dirty South Texas, and <laughs> um, I was this real gruff and uh, kind of guy. And um, I had the whole the whole. Shit. It sounds like Bruce. <laughs> yes, it was my Bruce Pritchard. That's why we hit it off immediately. He's uh, he's deep South Texas. Bruce yeah. is actually DST. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. So that that went really well, and I started doing graphics and stuff because, of course, I went to school for graphic design, and and I love to draw and I love to do stuff on the computer. So I started um, doing graphics for him and stuff like that, and that. That went went on for a bit, and um, then Conrad started the Bruce Show, and Bruce and Conrad had barely been on. Um, they had a um, they had a couple of episodes under their belt, and I just just for fun started doing fun little graphics um, and putting them up on Twitter and putting them up on social, promoting their show, um, just because I liked it so much because it was different. And um, Conrad and I we hooked up on Twitter, and he was like, "Hey, would you be interested in?" 
um, doing like our Twitter handles and covers for our shows and stuff like that. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Sure. Um, so I just started doing it for fun. And when their first live show happened in Orlando, Conrad was like, hey, is there any way you could make it to Orlando? It was WrestleMania weekend. Bruce is doing WrestleCon. Um, we're all going to be there. We're going to do our first live show. We'd love to have you. You're, you do all the covers and all that kind of stuff, but we've never actually met. So um, I told my wife, I said, hon, I think, I, I think I'm going to go. I'm just going to roll the dice and, and I'm going to get to meet these guys in person. I'm just going to see if we gel, if, if this is something. So she's like, she's like, go for it. So flew to Orlando. Stephanie, Bruce's wife, picked me up. Um, we hit it off immediately, me and her. Went to WrestleCon, hit it off with Bruce immediately. Um, we did our first live show, which which was a sellout and, and a lot of fun. And then Bruce is like, okay, we're going to St. Louis next month. You want to come? I was like, well, I got to check my schedule, but because I was still in the newsroom. Um, and so he's like, yeah, we'll take care of your ticket. It'll be fine. So I would work Monday through Friday, leave Friday night or early Saturday morning, fly to whatever location we are, we work in the u.s do the show and then make it home by monday morning uh for for television news so yeah uh, we just we just gelled and we all hit it off and we knew that there was a kinship with the three of us and um and then it became it became my life and uh we so got when did it become your life when was it just when he just had the bruce show that he started having other shows but that yeah point, when did it become your life we started, we, we, we kept with the Bruce show, of course, and then we picked up Tony and we started doing what happened when, and then we picked up Eric and uh, then we picked up JR and then we did Arn and Kurt and then it continues. But um, it got to the point where we were doing StarCast 2 and StarCast 2 was in Vegas. And um, I was doing all the graphic work and I was doing everything from home, but there had come to a point where I... I told Conrad, I asked for the days off from work and my boss was like, sorry, I already have that time off. Um, it's not gonna happen. And I called Conrad and I said, hey dude, I'm sorry. Uh, like, I hate this, but I can't make it to Vegas because I have to work. My boss said, I can't have time off. And, and Conrad's without even hesitation, he was like, what do you need to make? I was like, what do you mean, what do you need to make? <laughs> what do you need to make to just come full time? So I told him, and um and he said okay put in your two weeks and like that i put in my two weeks and and then i started i started full time and i had uh, from home from your yeah work. from home and um still in texas and i got god bless point, texas god bless texas so my heart it, it, it <laughs> it's deep baby it's deep so um it got to the point i was about maybe two months into working full-time. And I told my wife, I said, "Hun, I think we got to go to Huntsville to really make this happen. Like, I, so we have that connection. I'm there in the office every day and I like Connor and I can work closer. What, to was me. there even an office at that time in Huntsville or? Um, yeah. Uh, I work out of the uh, mortgage company office. Uh -huh. So it's, it's a big building. So um, in the front is all mortgage and all, and, and all business. There's a conference room that that breaks the two pieces um, of the building, separates them. And on the other half, I have a studio 
and where I do, where we do our recordings and all that jazz, and I have it all set up with all of Conrad's memorabilia and all that. So that's where we that's where we do mix show, um, and we and we do other recordings. We just did Eric this week in there in the studio, but yeah. So I work out of that building, that side of the office. But so they they come they come to Huntsville to do their shows. Some of them do. Like Eric was in town just because we had our ad free show Top Guy weekend this past weekend. And um, Eric was in town. So before he went home to Cody, um, we were like, well, let's record, a, let's record a show real quick in the studio. And so we do that. But Mick comes, um, Mick comes to the office, I want to say maybe twice a month. And we, we try to do um, a clump of shows all at once and then spread them out throughout the month. So, so your wife was 100% for, let's, let's give it a shot. And yeah. My, no, my she wasn't. <laughs> My, my no, she was she was a hundred percent. Heather has always been super supportive from yeah. the call I called. I called her to say, "Hey, I just got a job offer in Cadillac, Michigan. You want to go?" Uh, to hey, I think it's time for us to go back to Texas. To what do you think about Huntsville, Alabama? And um, she's always been super supportive of everything I do. She's wonderful. So we just packed up and we came and we moved to Huntsville, and now we're it's three years here in Huntsville, and. It just we just continue to expand this network that we're building. So, so is it true that Conrad owns the entire state of Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you for a fact that I have not been in a place where people don't know Conrad. Somehow, we've been like out of the state, and people walk up to go, "Are you? I recognize your voice. Are you Conrad Thompson?" And he's like, I yes, I am. And yeah. and um he's super modest and he, he like, but yes. Wait a minute. What what'd you say? He's super modest. <laughs> he's super modest. Boy, he, really he got you fooled. <laughs> if you say that about Bruce, we're cutting this off. No, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, not not a chance with Bruce. Not a chance with Bruce. So, so how, how do you think, what, go ahead, Jerry? What do you think? And you got all these, all these egos, all these stars at, at your fingertip now, and you're at control of them. You're, you, you, you're the one that makes these guys roll. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come growing up as a fan, and it had to be what, what a thrill it had to be for you. It was a huge thrill, you know. Um, growing up watching and and idolizing all these, all these guys, and you guys, you two, watching you two, and and. And being able to meet you in person and learning that that you're just guys, you're guys with jobs, just trying to make ends meet, just trying to do what you do, do what you love, and like, not that the it was a real realization. And I think that a lot of fans, um, it's hard, you know, you get starstruck and it's hard to realize that these are these are just real human beings doing jobs, um, and trying to put smiles on faces, um. And but go home and make a sandwich <laughs> out of the fridge, or go home and the the fly, the tires flat. I got to fill the tire, or they're just normal people. And that's what I've learned with working with this whole from Olympic gold medalist to um, to Ric Flair to Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> that um, they're all different. They're all different, and but they're just normal guys just trying to keep the lights on and so you and, are you in the middle when uh, one of the hosts gets mad at another host <laughs> yeah does anybody ever call you and go what the hell was that why do you say that 
No, nah, not really. Not really. Um, a lot of the times when it gets superheated, um, it's it's understood that once the show, once we stop recording, everybody's cordial again and nobody's hot. And, and it's not like it's not like writing out to the next show or anything like that. Everybody knows that, hey, we were talking about this and now. What about one of the hosts on his show says something and another host on his show says something. And the show... <laughs> that's, that's a whole, that's, that's, a, this <laughs> that's is what where, I'm talking about. This is yeah. where we do this. <laughs> dirt, baby, dirt, give us dirt. <laughs> now, sometimes it gets nasty, but, uh, but Conrad's a great mediator and uh, he wants everybody happy and everybody uh, working cordially with each other. So it, it all works out. It's not, it's not terrible. It's not horrible. Not like Bruce. Bruce is a horrible person. <laughs> Speaking of Conrad, though, I mean, is he is he is he that mediator at all times? I mean, you know, Conrad his, from his business, you know, uh, uh, mortgages and everything, he's got to negotiate. Is is he an ultimate negotiator with talent at times? Also, oh yeah, oh yeah, because um, he he crosses all his T's and dots all his I's. He makes sure that he has um a plan from a to z and is 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 totally um looking out for his co-host and totally making sure that everybody's happy with so there's no surprises that everybody's happy from top to bottom because he we're both just fans we're both now in this world and now he's really well known for what he's done in the podcast space um, and really, we're just like you guys telling stories, wanting to hear stories, having questions about different events in professional wrestling that we want to hear the backstories about, or we want to hear like how was it being in that seat when when this happened or whatever the case. So um, he wants everybody to have that and have an enjoyable time doing it, and um, feel open and not like, well, I'm being shorted, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, so so screw that guy or whatever. He wants everybody happy with the final product and having fun while they do it so he's found a great formula on how to provide that for all his co-hosts to where every at the end at the end of the day everybody's happy with the product at the end of the day so what is the the relationship between say because I, I know bruce you know who's one of me and jerry's very best friends mm -hmm. uh you know he he was there for almost everything just as jerry was and he has a different take on a lot than sometimes the wrestling uh, newsletters. Yeah. So, what is the like? What is the the dynamic? With a second, say, do you deal with any of the newsletter guys or that that Bruce uh, Bruce loves to correct? <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do they think about? It? I'm just curious. You know, I'm just curious about because you know Jerry and I don't do hardly any dirt. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't correct anybody. If somebody says something wrong, we just we just let it go. You know, we don't, we don't care. You know, a lot of these guys, um, especially with Bruce and, um, and even sometimes with Eric and stuff, um, cause they really, they really call out the dirt sheets and they said, this is wrong or whatever. Cause we were there. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them try to chime back and fight back. But in Bruce's case, he's like, I say whatever you want. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I don't care which I don't care your rebuttal. I was there. So you can rebut all you want. But we have relationships with all the all the dirt sheet guys and, and Connor and I are friendly with everybody. 
And um, do you feel that's a necessary evil to have those relationships? I kind of, I kind of look at it as you do. They yeah, do. yeah. I think I, I, I think we do because we are. A lot of the research that we that we take for our shows is from reports throughout the years of different events and stuff, and then we present it, and our host can either say, "Yeah, that's how it went," and here's here's something that's not in there, or that's a complete lie. These guys don't know what they're talking about, um, whatever the case might be. So it's kind of a necessary evil in what we do. Um, and I think I think the writers and the journalists that that we take articles from and we use in our research, they all understand that um, nobody's perfect. Um, and uh, they're going to report what they report. And if it's wrong 20 years ago, what are you going to do? I'm sorry, I screwed up. Or they're gonna stand by their laurels and say, "Well, no, Bruce is a liar," or <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and then it becomes a thing. And you know, Bruce is so darn stubborn that um, he's he'll fight no. to death. Really? Yes, exactly. I know it, it's crazy. It's crazy, but yes. Let me tell you a funny story about Bruce. Um, one of the shows that we went to for our live show, he was like, "Hey, I I I did something for you." <laughs> We're on the phone, and I'm like, "What?" And he goes, I got you a first class ticket. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're going to be flying with me. Because I would always fly from, I would fly from Harlingen to Houston. And then we would connect in Houston. And then we'd fly to whatever destination we were. And most of the times it was Bruce in first class. And I'd be waving as I go to coach. <laughs> so this time I, he got a first class ticket for me because he had some points or whatever. So I was so excited because I had never flown first class at that time. In all my years, I never flown first class. So we get to, we get down, and of course, um, the attendant comes up and says, "Would you all like to drink something to drink?" So Bruce is like, "I'll have a diet coke." I said, "I'll have a sprite." So they come and they bring us our cups, and they, we put them down in our little our little holder. And I adjust myself and said, oh man, I'm in, I'm in first class. And I knocked the drinks all over Bruce. <laughs> He's like, God damn it, Silva. <laughs> what did you do? What did I do? What did you do? You moved that fat body of yours and it knocked over all my drinks. <laughs> so he, he flew to, I forget where we went to, and he was all wet. So that, Good. that was it. That was my first first class and my last time flying first class to Bruce. They used to get so sick of me when I go up to the offices in uh, Stanford because I'd walk in and they're you know, doing a little few podcasts they're on. And I go, hey, have you guys seen uh, Bruce and Conrad's numbers? And, and they, of course they had seen them. I go, yeah, their numbers. And I always, I always get Bruce's numbers before I went up there. I go, yeah, their numbers were this, 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 this. Uh, how are you guys podcast doing? <laughs> i told him so many times i got tired of me saying it i would i would always go in there guys I, I don't know if you heard bruce has a podcast here we know john we we know we know that, that's the reason john that we can't you and i can't get ours up there now I know. <laughs> that's right that's right it's that's right now now me and jerry can't get a podcast on wwe because i burned i burned a bridge and that bruce crossed <laughs> Bruce is the gatekeeper. He should be able to get you have some kind of pull to get your show on the. You would on think he would. You think I, I, we know somebody? <laughs> Just a couple. Might help people. us. Uh, Just a couple. Uh, uh, 
So tell uh, us some stories about Arn Anderson or Shivani or Bishop or something. Oh Come on, you gotta have some, especially. Uh, let, let, let's bury bury Eric first. He, he, yeah, let's bury <laughs> Eric. We, we always, you know, listen. We gotta understand this. Jerry and I love Eric. We really uh -huh. do. He's a good friend of ours. But we, Eric can be polarizing, as you know. So we of love. Course, no. We love just egging people alone. So. You, you got any Eric Bischoff stories? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's <laughs> just You know what makes me sick about Eric Bischoff? <laughs> uh, this weekend, um, at our Top Guy weekend, uh, he made a bet with Conrad. He made a bet with Conrad about uh, um, AEW and um, how he didn't believe that CM Punk was going to be on their first, uh, on their episode of their first brand new show, Collision. And he made a bet and he said, if I lose that bet, I'll shave all my hair off. Huh. And, and Connor's like, but he goes, but if you lose that bet, you're shaving all your hair off. Connor's like, I'll take that bet. Um, and sure enough, wow. CM, sure enough, CM Punk showed up to work that day. And this weekend, uh, Eric got his head shaved and he went completely bald, Lex Luthor bald. And um, while doing that, we before we shaved his head, um, Conrad had a great idea of, hey, well, let's raise let's raise some money for some charity uh, while we do this, and the highest donor will get to actually work the Clippers. We'll fly him into into Huntsville for the weekend, and we'll we'll have him cut Eric's hair. So we we were able to raise um, uh, thirteen thousand five hundred dollars for St. Jude, which was great. Um, but even with shaving all of hair, Eric's hair off, um, he's still so darn good looking. It's <laughs> I would go that he still got a lot of hair. <laughs> that, that's that's the main reason we hate him. He's good looking. He's, he's quiet. He got, he got all that hair. So <laughs> one time, one time, Dave Kerry Von Eric was going to pitch a hair versus hair match with me, and so has long hair and all that stuff. So I'm sitting there talking to Kerry about it, and he's going, "Yeah, I got this idea." He goes, "We'll end up in a hair versus hair match," and I said. Carrie, I, I don't think you'd sell many Polaroids if you were bald. And he, he just looked at me and goes, well, no, no, no. You would <laughs> just <laughs> rip for a complete loop. <laughs> you're not, you're not understanding what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I want you oh, to cut your oh, hair. Oh, I'm going to lose to a Von Eric in Dallas. <laughs> oh, I, I got, I got. oh, yeah, never. <laughs> yeah. Now I understand. That'll never happen. <laughs> Nobody will believe that. Uh, and as you guys are rolling along, you, you and Conrad, are you, you, you guys are the two main guys at, at, at the company at that time, right? I mean, you had no other producers or anything. No, you, sir. Uh, yeah. Conrad, Conrad handled this and you handled all the production work. Is that how it went? Yeah. Um, when we first started, it was, it was just, it was Conrad, Bruce and I, and, um, and we had a guy that worked social back then. Um, and he would do, he would do, Facebook and Twitter and in our Instagram posts and stuff like that. Um, but when when he stopped, I took that over. And um, pretty much we had a guy that used to do our audio engineering. Um, and so Conrad would send him the audio and he would add all the commercials and all that jazz. But now I do that too. So, so um, it's kind of, it just, we started losing people and picking up people and um, then we started at free shows and got that off the ground. And, um, but yeah, when it first started out, it was just three of us. Um, I would room with Bruce 
and 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 of course Conrad would have his own place, but Bruce and I would always would always room together. And um and uh those are some those are some wild stories. If you've ever roomed with Bruce, um it's well, I know that's a fact. <laughs> using the using the term diva. <laughs> oh that, that, that that's that's loosely <laughs> that's an understatement. Bruce is very particular on on how he lives in his room. Bruce but, is like from the country in Texas, and you'll talk to him, he goes, Yeah, I was getting my nails done by yes. <laughs> what oh, I just had a pedicure. You had a what? Bruce? <laughs> yeah, is that how you Texans are? Oh no. well I, so, go ahead. No, no, I just I, I had my first pedicure here in Huntsville. Uh, Conrad said, I got you something. And we showed up at a nail salon and, and I got a pedicure. <laughs> I guess it's a thing. I guess it's a thing for rich guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're working three hours on uh, three to four hours with Bruce's uh, uh, podcast. It, it normally goes. How long does it take you to actually sit down and, and put everything in that you need? What what's your workload like when you when you produce a podcast like Bruce's or Eric's? Well, what what I like to do is I like to to pre-produce the show, and I like to I have my show notes, and we have a great researcher named Derek Sabato who does all our research for our shows. So I get the show notes, and pretty much it's from top to bottom the history of the subject and and everything that belongs to it. And then we have um, now we 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 have uh, um, a young man named Richard Ta uh, Richard Land from England who helps with all the images, all all the all the stills of the different events and stuff, um, which is real nice because I used to do that. But now that I'm doing seven shows, um, uh, he helps me out with that. So what I like to do is I like to read the notes, go through the notes. Um, make sure I have all the images and everything I need to tell this story um, as Bruce and Conrad talk. And then once we once we go live, it's it's pretty much I switch the show and and we roll it live. And in a perfect world, from the time we start to the time we finish, whether it be two and a half hours, three hours, or whatever, um, by the time it's over, that show's done. Like video wise, it's done. And then from there, I take the audio and um, I put it up on our podcast feeds and schedule and all that stuff. And I take the show and I upload it onto our YouTube channel um, and I trim any fat that needs to be out or if Bruce has to take a call or whatever, I trim all that kind of stuff out and I get it up on YouTube. And then I go back once all the show is over and I cut the clips of the show because during the show, I'm switching the show, but I'm also taking production notes. Um, like okay at three minutes 20 seconds bruce talks about um his time with um captain luke or whatever so once i get all my clips cut out from the show and i upload them onto youtube and all that kind of stuff uh then i move on to the next show and then it's whether it be um eric or whether it be tony or whether it be jr or whether it be rick um, or you guys, it's just, I tried to get everything, um, all done at once so that I can mentally move on to the next one. Um, because it's a lot of balls juggling up in the air, 
uh, to get all these shows on time and looking good and presentable uh, for the audience. So what's the key to YouTube? How did me and Jerry become the next Jake and Logan Paul? Um, <laughs> I need to see, I need to see you two shirtless. That's not a good idea. We're old. I, I, um, no, it, it's, it, it's it's a couple of things on YouTube, but um, a lot of it has to do with um, we always drop at six at six a.m. on Thursdays. So um, it's appointment it's appointment watching and listening for a lot of folks, whether it be on our podcast feed or on YouTube. So that's good that people know that on Thursday mornings um, they can pop you all on 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 their computer at work, or they can watch you on their television that it's always going to be there. So that's really good. But then throughout that time between one Thursday, Thursday to the next, it's just content, anything and everything content, whether it be clips from the show that they just saw, whether it be something fun of like um, Jerry, like Jerry walking out in his backyard in his jungle uh, with his birds and stuff. People just want to get to know Jerry. People just want to get to know John. They want to know what you all have back there behind you, Jumbo's books. What book, what book helped you out, or what book do you suggest? Or oh, check out this old memento that was given to me back in the day um, by so and so, or whatever. They love stuff like that, and the, and the clips can either be a minute long or they can be six minutes long. It's just the the viewer wants to be able to know that if they if they open up YouTube, they want to see your your guy's face, whether talking about uh, talking with a guest or showing us something fun in your office or at your house or um, doing funny little skits like I'm still over like that got a huge bump um, when Mr. Briscoe did those because um, it shows his sense of humor he likes laughing he likes laughing at himself he likes he, he likes entertaining. He likes so, laughing at me more. He it, does. Well, yeah, I know. Hey, man. <laughs> he does. He does. So, like, little. All Bruce. only guy more than you, John, is Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> and we laugh all the time at Bruce. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 just offering more content. So, are uh, me and Jerry, in all seriousness, are we your two favorite hosts? You're my two easiest hosts. <laughs> I'll just. <laughs> We were your two most unemployable hosts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who's your most difficult one? Um, I would say I would say, and not not to pick not to pick on him, but I would say Brucey, just because his schedule. Well, so, let's pick on him. Let's pick on. Yeah, him. let's pick on him. <laughs> his his schedule, so you, he never knows. We'll be scheduled, and and we'll be all set, and I'll have all, everything set up, and we're ready to go. And he'll text us and said, I'm sorry, guys, I just got pulled into another meeting. And then it, the, the show's done for that week or, and I have to scramble to put together a best of or um, he can't record on, on the day that was scheduled. So we record some, some crazy hour during, during the weekend or whenever he has a free moment. But, but Bruce would be the only one um, that I would say is, is, is hard. Um, just because you never know when we're going to get him, it's like. How about, how about how about the Olympic gold medalist? He he's a, he's a difficult guy to track down, difficult guy to keep up with. Kurt is is very is very schedule based, so um, it's like, hey guys, I got from nine 
to 10 or I got from nine to 1030 and then I'm out. I got to go. So it's like he's Johnny on the spot. And he's serious about that go home spot because we were John and I were on there. He just got up at the end of the show and I got told you guys I got to go. So yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we, think, we had to go pick up the daughters. And... Yeah, we were, we were glad to have him. We, we screwed up some of the time and all kinds of things. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> finally got him. He goes, guys, I'm a hard out at two. And so literally, we're like we're like 120 seconds away. We're going. We got to wrap up fast. <laughs> we got to make this quick. We got to no. make it quick. We got a yeah. gold medalist. So we covered like all of his amateur up to the pro level, up to the gold medalist. So we want to do a part two with Kurt. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. There's going to be a part two. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. You know, Kurt, they, they said Kurt uh, was named the greatest shooter of all time uh, by the wrestling uh, shoot magazine. You know, that, oh, 100. He, I mean, that guy, that guy's a, he's a different animal. Yeah. Yeah. I, you do not want to work. You do not want to mess with, oh, with my Kurt goodness. Angle. You know, I always said it, I always said it about when he was there. You know, he wasn't just like really good. He, he was the best in the world out of eight billion people. He was the gold medalist. It wasn't like, you know, let them say, you know, he was really good in college. Kurt, Kurt was not really good. Uh, Kurt was the best on the freaking planet. And, and, <laughs> you know, Kurt, Kurt's not the biggest guy in the world, but I saw him wrestle a kid in college. And then the guy that got into business, uh, Sylvester Turkan, uh, Sylvester backs my story up when I talked to Sly. He, he was the most brutal guy Sly said he ever wrestled, the most punishing guy he said he ever wrestled. Yeah. Kurt, right there in your face all the whole time. Kurt's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's wrestling those heavyweight division. He was wiping them out like they were like they were 125 pounds or so. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he told us about how he changed his whole training to ex- that exhaustion technique where you start training after you get the to Dan failure. Gable music, uh, the Dan Gable. That's uh, right. And that's how you end up beating Kerr and Coleman and those guys that he couldn't beat before. You know, he was just a, he, he's a, well, he's obviously he's a freak of nature, but he's a cardiovascular yeah. freak too. He just, mm-hmm. just pressured you, just kept pressuring you, kept pressuring you. Like the old UFC guy, I can't get this guy off me. <laughs> <laughs> and and I hate to break this to you guys, but he did it all with a broken freaking neck. Oh, no. Yeah, I've never heard that. <laughs> I don't know, I, breaking news, folks. Breaking news. Yeah. I heard he did it with a broken freaking neck. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, we're, working with guys like Kurt, then you got guys like Tony Schiavone, who's so laid back and just so metal and everything he does there. What a, what a contrast to the two person, but that's what works on your ad free shows. I think in different personalities, you got Arn, who's, you know, a man's man and will, will tell you just exactly like it is, whether you want to hear it or not. You know, so. But a lot of people, and I think, I think people know the secrets out, but a lot of people like, I grew up a huge Arn Anderson fan and for, like four horsemen, like I had mentioned, and he's the sweetest as can be. He's the nicest, um, just soft-spoken, funny, uh, dry humor, as you guys know. He um, is so funny, yeah. He, he's just a great yeah, he's, yeah. He's a great, great guy. But, yeah. I would watch Arn every single week just hold court uh, around ringside, you know, before the show. Because <laughs> he's so entertaining. Yeah. yeah everybody just, loves Arn. He would sit there and just tell stories, and people would just sit there at his feet like they're sitting at Aristotle's feet. <laughs> Not that Arn's ever been compared to Aristotle. I know. <laughs> he's like the country version of Aristotle. And the country yeah. version. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He's Aristotle's cousin. And it's hilarious because he's he's busting balls, but he has a straight face. He's not he's not cracking. It's just like matter of fact, and it's just 
him watching him and Tony Schiavone go back and forth with each other because they've known each other for for decades. It's hilarious because yeah. Tony pulls no punches with him, and he pulls no punches with Tony, and it's just it's just hilarious. It's fun to watch. He had a guy backstage one time. We're in California, and I won't say who it is because people wouldn't know. I don't want to bury the guy, but he came back after a match and he punched a couple lockers, ran his head into a locker, and some different stuff. And uh, Arn goes up to him and goes. All right, I gotta know. Are you doing this for show, or are you just an idiot? And <laughs> the guy just looked at him, and Arn goes, "Well, that answers my question." And he walked <laughs> off. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, yeah. When when yeah. you go out when you go out in Huntsville, there you got to get a million questions about these guys. You know, like Jim Ross, what's he really like? You know, in mm-hmm. person. And then that that's got to consume a big part of your your evening when you're you're, you're talking about all this talent. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to. Everybody wants to know what these guys are really like before we hit record and stuff like that. But, but like, the truth is, is that they're all great dudes. They're all great guys. But, it, but in all uh, seriousness, are are me and Jerry your favorites? <laughs> I love everybody equally. Oh, so- oh boy. And, and that's a Texan talking to another Texan. I can understand if we're both Okies, you know, you can ignore. What do you do? You got mad because I started talking about Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. I, throw my I, just, I just pulled my headset off. I was like, I'm not going to listen to this. <laughs> hey, gonna... uh, Dave, what, what shows more interest? Is it uh, like Arn telling stories about the Four Horsemen days, Bruce telling stories about the 80s, WrestleMania, or 90s, or the current stuff where they talk about uh, whatever's going on right now what what seems to be have more staying power and what what has more interest right now with fans nostalgia no um fans are still um everybody's looking and everybody reaches back to that time when they were a kid or in their teenage years when um at their height of of wrestling fandom and um it just no matter what no matter um whether we're talking about current stuff, um, which we really only do on Eric's show because everybody else is is nostalgia based, but um, everybody leans back to wanting to hear those stories when they were kids, when they were watching uh, with their buddies or with their parents, and and hearing those stories and listening to stories about their heroes that I think will never get old, you know um and one other thing i think that matters is the fact that there's the the time has elapsed and so yes. there's the, the the fact that the 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 statue of limitations is out on some of these things <laughs> that you can actually you can actually talk about things that if yeah. it was current you probably wouldn't be able to talk about you know guys exactly. tell stories that were 20 30 years ago that you would tell that if they were two three weeks ago you wouldn't tell 100 percent, 100 percent. um and and now that that the landscape has kind of uh, shaped itself into telling these older stories and sharing stories that are 20, 30 years old that um, a lot of guys say, well, who's gonna wanna care about that? Or who's gonna, who's gonna wanna know about that story? Those are the stories that, that we fans clamor to because it, we get to sit inside the car when they're telling those stories and get to listen to those stories. And we get to, we get to be in that spot um, by hearing stories that probably would never have been told, um, except in small groups with the guys and stuff like that. Now they're being able to be shared because of the lapse of time, because of, hey, it's kosher to share these stories. It's, it's okay. And 
you don't have to bury anybody to tell these stories. They can still be great stories without you burning bridges and breaking hearts and and um, and telling secrets on everybody. These still can be great stories um, that you can share that listeners want to hear. What's the greatest? Does Bruce go into the, the backstory about when he taught Ed Strangler Lewis the headlock and how to, <laughs> how to present the headlock with a, a mannequin head? Well, no, I haven't, I haven't heard that story. But of course, as we know, um, Bruce invented wrestling. So yes, um, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, hey, what is one or two of the best, craziest stories you've heard out of all, all of the podcasts? What sticks out in your mind? My gosh. Um, and the reason I asked why you're thinking about it is, you know, you start with some friends and a lot of guys, you know, Jerry, I'm sure has had the same experience where you're with friends, you know, outside of the wrestling business. And it's like, tell us a wrestling story. And you start telling them a story that's actually pretty tame. And they look at you and you can tell they don't believe me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm gonna, this is 100% true. This is, there's a lot worse than this. <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it's like some of these stories that that I've like one that comes to mind is Tony Schiavone when he went the very few times Tony went out with the horsemen uh, in their JCP days. And he tells this one story of him and Barry, him having to take care of Barry at the end of the night. And but he was just as drunk as Barry and sometimes even worse. Barry ended up having to take care of him. But um uh, he tells the story that they went out drinking, they had a blast, and um, he ended up in, Tony said, I ended up in my room. I don't know how I got there, but Barry put me in my room. The only thing I remember is that when I woke up, I had a water burger, um, a water burger stuck to the back of my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> that apparently, in, in, in their messing around, um, Barry threw a water burger in the back of Tony's head that knocked him out and dropped him to the bed. So <laughs> Tony woke up with a water burger on the back of his head. So um, what, what a waste of a water burger. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. Exactly. Water burger is a national treasure. And he yeah. wasted it on the back of Tony's head. <laughs> so Michael Hayes told us story talking about moonwalking on a bar where Jimmy Garvin didn't tell him he's going to moonwalk into a fan. He hits his fan, knocks himself out. And then he says, I wake up in bed naked with Jimmy. And that was just sort of like, okay, that was a free bird story. <laughs> All right. That pretty cool the, story. Throw the credits. The end. Missy Hyatt told us last week a story where Buddy Roberts hid in the ceiling while she was dressing, not to see yeah. her naked so that he could pee on her. Yeah. And he was just—he was just gonna, and, and I'm like, "There's," and I, I'm like thinking, "Where's the exit strategy on that? You're you're gonna get caught." I'd be like, "What's the once the water comes running down, like he just like hiding the ceiling? That there's nowhere to go. It's like yeah, there's nowhere to go. It's like that's." And I, I'm thinking how all the time how difficult it, it was to squat up there on 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 those rails. You right. know, once he take he take her. I mean, he wanted he wanted to pee on her back. I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what what yeah, a romantic! What yeah, a romantic. I mean, we we all run around these stories, and, and like John says, you tell your friend that's not in the business or knows nothing about it. There's no, they just shake. Their, There's no way that could have happened. You, know, you walk away. What a freaking liar that guy is! <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you don't know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, 
I mean, going down the road, hitting each other in the rental cars. I mean, that happened all the time. God, that's and, wild. And oh. people have a hard time believing it, but it was, I mean, and it was like 80, 90 miles an hour. It was not, it was not yeah. <laughs> yeah, or faster. Yeah. It wasn't a little tap at a stoplight. It was hauling it, knocking each other over. We got one time Mark Henry passes. He and D-Lo passes and Taka Michinoka were to the back. We're up in the Maritime Provinces and they threw a bunch of chicken bones out on our car. We even stopped at, you know, like a, a, you know, we, I was with Ron and Godfather. We all stopped at some little fast food chicken. They ate their chicken, threw, threw their bones out on us. And Godfather's in the back. He goes, you're kidding me. And I said, no, he goes, hit him. <laughs> so, uh, we're going on the road 89 miles an hour and i'm pushing mark henry down the road the world's strongest man and he's got the steering wheel i think he's gonna pull it off the car talking michinoko's in the back going absolutely crazy and dino's heads wagging <laughs> but we do it like for 30 minutes we don't we won't let him off the road we won't let him slow down we won't let him stop oh my God. we just tortured him <laughs> talking uh, michinoko he rode with those guys that uh he never learned English, but he found God that day. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And you tell I people that it. they're like, that didn't happen. They go, yeah, it actually, yeah. I, promise you, I promise you it did. It was actually worse than that. <laughs> and, and you guys aren't in jail over that. Nope. <laughs> nope. Right. Landing this, this whole, this, this whole show has a theme of cars. I'm, I'm a bad. I'm putting together. We got cars and trees, cars oh, curved wheels. The greatest, the biggest, the most famous thing from Florida was the Briscoe car. Oh, anybody, who, anybody who's anybody, you know, you say, well, I was I was trained by my hero Matsuda. I was trained by Billy Robinson. I was trained by Brad Rangers. I rode in Briscoe's car. All those <laughs> respect. I was like, okay, cool. I'm not. I'm not going to mess with you. <laughs> If you got to ride in Briscoe's car, that was a deal. Literally, their car is oh, well, we, did, we just took the rookies and, and, and doctorated them the right way. <laughs> <laughs> Blackjack gave his young son, Barry, to Jack and Jerry Briscoe, not knowing it was Satan and Beelzebub. <laughs> he, 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 the bottom line is, John, he knew because Blackjack had been our friend for years. So when he, when he made that sacrifice. <laughs> I think maybe he was just wanting to get rid of Barry or something. <laughs> Dave, he came to us in Greensboro, North Carolina. Jack and I came up for a shot one time, and we were working one of their tournaments up there at the holiday shows. And Black Jack comes over and says, guys, my son just started in the business. I want to get him away from here. Would you guys take care of him and get him booked in for And we looked at Barry. Man, you bet. Here's just six foot seven uh, <laughs> Yeah, Adonis of a guy, you know. Uh -huh. We feel we're we're in good hands with Barry. So send him on down. So we got him booked, and he came down. And man, look what a star we made, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Not to mention his natural ability that he had. <laughs> that don't count. It was all the extracurricular stuff that he learned. He's Barry, a and, he was, and, he, and he was a fast learner too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, if Barry hadn't got hurt, that guy would have been NWA champion for a long time. Yeah, without a doubt. 100%. He was, man, 100%. he was so good. Yes. He's the best. I loved him. So, Dave, do you still enjoy wrestling like you did when you were a fan back before you got involved with all these, these uh, prima donnas? 
Yes, I. But and, I find, and all joking aside, are me and Jerry your favorite hosts? <laughs> well, well, John, let me answer Jerry's question first. He won't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I still love wrestling a lot. Um, I don't stay on top of the current as much as I should, um, or as I would like to, because I'm so involved in in our shows and stuff like that, which is which is nostalgia based and and um all that but um but yeah i still love i still love watching i, I still love everything about it um and uh i i probably will till i'm older and grayer oh. um and now that i have my boy um I, my son's into it too and, and loves it just as much as me and has had an opportunity to meet with, with a bunch of the guys so so yeah it's been it's been a dream come true it really has uh, other than taking over billionaire Connie's seat there, what, what are your ambitions for the, for, the, <laughs> for this podcast business? What do you see it going to? Well, I just, I, I honestly just see us, see us continuing to grow. Um, we've in this our, form, what form do you see? You see it changing in here? Um, a lot of it, a lot of it is playing out on on video. Um, since we've moved to a video platform. Um, along with the audio companion, uh, the videos have been doing great. When people actually get to see the conversations happen and see the facial expressions, and of course, and I keep on falling back on Bruce, but Bruce, when the camera's on, Bruce is like from a 10 to a 20 in, in entertainment value because he's hamming it up and he's being Bruce uh, for the listeners. So um, that's really, I feel, has kicked us up to another level in actually having and having our guys on video recording these shows. Um, because before, as you know, it was just an audio platform and we would just um, work on those downloads. But now that we're on, we have our YouTube channels and, and everybody's doing great. And um, I think that that's, we just keep on stepping towards more video, more video to where um hopefully one day it'll be it'll be its own little little network uh, where everything can be on one platform where people can click a button and see uh see bruce or stay on the same page and click and, and see jr or see tony or see eric or jeff or whoever we have um that's that's what i would hope to see and hope hope we get to see one day but um but yeah, where I'm going to be is I love being behind the scenes. I don't have really any desire to be in front of the camera. <laughs> so that's Conrad's baby. But um, I love putting things together. I love being able to um, look at a project and and know that I put my stamp on it and it's out and people are enjoying it. And um, I was able to be a part of the machine that makes it all happen. Uh, so I really just see my as we grow, continue to see and to continue to be able to grow our team um, and put more product out for listeners and viewers. What, what suggestions do you have for aspiring uh, podcasters like John and I or, or just the general world out there? Everybody has not a taking podcast. our shirts off to something else. Yeah. <laughs> not, not taking our, our shirts off, but uh now, what do you what what advice do you have for some of these guys that are just starting out? They they think they can buy a Zoom link and 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 get on there for an hour and a half and talk old school wrestling. What what what, what advice do you have for up, up and coming podcasters? I think what I would what I would 
what I would encourage future podcasters and people that want to get into this world um, is just be yourself. Uh, don't don't put on a shtick. Don't try to be some over the top um, um, host or or person on your on your podcast. Just be yourself um, because that's what's going to draw viewers in. Um, what you hear on our podcast, that's Conrad 24-7. Always positive, always with the quick comebacks, always with um, always with the with the friendly demeanor. That's just Conrad. Um, and that's that's people feel like they're talking to their buddy and their buddy's talking to a super uh, hall of famer or or whoever it might be. That's what draws them in because they feel like, oh, it's just us guys talking amongst ourselves. So I would encourage folks because obviously because I'm always on YouTube and I'm always seeing what other people are doing and, and different techniques that they're using all that kind of stuff you see some of the guys that they're talking about professional wrestling and they want to be a professional wrestler or they want to they want to oh I gotta do this because uh, it's in the world of professional wrestling that are really not being them themselves and it and their views are super duper low um so I would just encourage folks, just to be yourself, like share your thoughts, share your feelings, be honest with your viewers. And that's what draws people in um, and makes people want to continue to listen and continue to support you. And then you build a following. And then before you know it, you'll have your 100,000 views, 20,000 views, 15,000, whatever your goal is. Um, that's a huge point of just being yourself, just being honest with your viewers and um, not putting on a shtick. You know, one thing I, I thought along, we, Ron Fuller was on with us a while back and he, man, he was just, he was so interesting to listen to when he talked about developing the hockey league that he developed and, you know, he brought, they had a lot to do with hockey coming into the South and how he promoted it. I sent it to some friends that, uh, you know, had uh, aspiring, you know, sports leagues that were starting, you know, because it's just, it's business 101, you know, mm -hmm. Jeff Jarrett is, is the same way. You know, he's just such a great business mind. Are most of your viewers, are they hardcore fans? Do you know your demo? Is it fans that are coming from the outside? Because the lessons that these guys have is simply how to promote. I mean, there's a reason that Mr. Briscoe has been so successful in business and in professional wrestling, because that same mindset works for all of business. And if you can make it in professional wrestling, you generally can make it almost anywhere because all of those business lessons you learn translate elsewhere. Yes. Well, we've, we've discovered that a lot of our listeners are in their thirties, forties. Um, that's a huge clump of our listeners. And a lot of them are business people. And a lot of, a lot of the draw is because we talk business or we talk numbers or we talk the business side of putting together a pay-per-view or whatever whatever subject um, we're talking about that week is that's what they find the most interested um, interest about because um, with Bruce and with Eric um, and even with Jeff and of course with JR, a lot of it was office work and a lot of it was um, people in the office and, and relationships with the office to get this thing done. And a lot of our listeners, they have their own businesses and they have their own offices that they work into and they know those dynamics and they know um they know how all that works so a lot of it is a lot of that draws them in um so i would say that a lot of our viewers are business-minded um professionals that either listen to us on the way to work or listen to us at the office or 
watch us at home. Yeah, I went through the numbers one time, but Eric Bischoff at WCW is one of the great corporate turnarounds in our lifetime. I mean, mm-hmm. what he did there when you're losing tens of millions of dollars to making tens of millions of dollars, not hundreds of millions at one point. You know, and everybody argues about the demise and people love to bash people, you know, 20 years past. Yeah. What Eric did was amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. I mean, that's 100%. something that, that people write books about. 100%. And the fact that a lot of people have, bought into the concept of um it was it was at the very end of wcw it was eric over there burning piles of money he wasn't even in charge of wcw (laughs) anymore he had been let go he got brought back as a talent he was just a talent that went at the demise at the very very end and then he left again so it it wasn't eric bischoff that killed wcw (laughs) (laughs) just to put that on the record once again but uh but yeah, it's the what he was able to do, and the thinking outside of the box and stuff is amazing. Definitely, Dave. What 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 you guys have done back back in our 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 day and time, you know, it was the dirt sheet. That that's how the majority of the fans and and that wanted it, and the majority of the wrestlers that wanted it got all the news that was going on because we had none of this stuff where we could just flip on Google or our social media. We, we were down here in Florida or out there in Texas. Actually, that's the information you got, but you you, you subscribe those dirt sheets. But now you guys have, have, have transcended that dirt sheet, the printed printed part of our business, and opened up this now it's this electronic deal where people can get people's opinions from a vast majority of people. I mean, look at this, the, the majority of people that you guys have, how different each and every host is on, on you guys' system of shows. And, and, and Conrad and you have been able to put this together. That's the reason Conrad was was, was nominated and elected uh, unanimously to the Dan Gable Hall of Fame, uh, George Trigger's Blue Fans Hall of Fame up in, up in Waterloo, Iowa, and a deduction July 25th to 27th or something like that. We're proud to have him and, and the, how he's changed the business. And our business keeps evolving with, with people like that. And it's good. It's good for our business. Even though we look back on the dirt sheets, man, those things were awful. But were they really awful? Because it gave more of people, more more uh, 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 clue what was going on in California or Portland, Oregon, than, than just being consumed by your, your, your local territories there. You guys are oh, doing the same thing. Yeah, 100%. I really feel like like if you go all the way back, there were stories being told in caves about <laughs> about different battles and different fights and those stories. Mr. Briscoe was there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going. Why did I know that was going? You guys worked this out before I got <laughs> I, I soft pitched that one too, him and he knocked it out of the park. <laughs> you don't have go to Texas. tell them <laughs> Go Texas. <laughs> God no, bless Texas. God bless Texas. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's what we're doing with with all these podcasts is we're being able to archive all these amazing stories um, and have them available for decades to come and keeping uh, the love of professional wrestling alive and keeping these stories alive with, with these podcasts. It, there, do, there isn't a day that goes by where we don't get a message from a listener that says, hey, I just discovered this podcast and I'm starting on episode one and I'm, I'm running through them. And, and that's wonderful because um, 
the stories that we tell and the podcast subjects that we talk about, they're evergreen podcasts that you can drop in any day of the week or you can find tomorrow or you can find a year from now and they still they still make sense and they still yeah, and, um, do well. And we think we're, we're, you know, Mr. Briscoe and I feel like we're recording history with what we're doing. You know, 100%. we've got these guys in their own words telling their story. All we do is tee them up and let them have fun and talk with us. And a lot of them are contemporaries and friends and all that. So mm-hmm. they react a little bit different to us than they would, you know, most people that they don't know that interviewing them. But it's something that's a re- re- recording history. You know, yes. if you want to know about J.J. Dillon or about Ted DiBiase, there's stuff, some stuff out there, but we've got it recorded, you know, an hour and a half, two yeah. hours of their life in their own words. We just feel like that's pretty cool to be able to get that to save for, for history. And John, you're 100% correct in the fact that I think what's so special about this show and about what you guys do is um, you have your, your two Rolodexes are so different from anybody else's because of the lineage and the history that we have with working the territories and, and knowing all these folks that a lot of the viewers and the listeners nowadays either have never heard of or are, have heard about but really don't know their story. And by um, keeping a chronicle of these stories and archiving these stories, it's, it's huge, not only for the guest uh, that's on that week, but also um, for the wrestling community as a whole, because a lot of people, they won't get Ron Fuller. They won't have the ability to get Ron Fuller on their show or Missy Hyatt or, or any of the, oh, my God, we have so many people in the archives. Uh, oh, we just had Abdullah on and Abdullah said, yeah, that Abdullah the picture. He, he says he just doesn't do podcasts anymore. You know, a lot of these guys have told us, you know, because, and for good reason, you know, you do yeah. a podcast, they love to take a little clip out and they, it's clickbait and, They'll always put so-and-so shooting on so-and-so, you know, we, exactly. we don't do that. You know, we, we let people tell stories in their own words and we make them look as, as, as good as possible. You know, that's yeah. one, of the reasons, one of the reasons we tape it, you know, if something is, you know, but they don't have anything to worry about. They say uh, exactly. something they want to say, we waited it, you know, we, we made say good. Yeah. Dave, Dave, we we, we got our favorite story, but out of all the guys that we've had on, I'll get to, but we'd like to hear your favorite story. Our favorite story is one about a flying saucer and and (laughs) of all places. (laughs) Cowboys got Casey, who is a guy that hardly anybody knows, but he's one of those territorial guys that got over like nobody's business. Maybe it was just one territory or two territories. But a lot of he's, his name's not out there in the general public like like a lot of other stars are. But he told this fantastic story about a road trip in Texas and them Mel Mascaras, Wahoo McDaniels, Tom Jones, guys are a legendary name, all sitting in the car together. They look out and there, there's a flying saucer. That's one of our favorite all-time stories. Do you have, do you have one of those stories? I, I've actually there? reached out to Mil Mascaris, the, the his representative, to see if they say he doesn't always Mil didn't always check in. You know, he's got to think yeah. a little bit. You know, stays away from the limelight now to to check on the story. <laughs> it's the greatest. It's the best story we have. Well, here's a little tidbit. I can I can probably find out if that story is true through Mil because my brother-in-law is Mila Mascaris's nephew. And um, so I could probably ask him. Oh, to we, we, want him on, we want him on the show to tell yes. us. <laughs> yes. 
but I'll see if I can pull any some strings okay. to get you all right. connected with Neil. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, my favorite story. Gosh, um, there was one time when I was rooming with Bruce, and this this room had um like it was a suite. So of course I was on the couch and Bruce was in the bed. And in the middle of the night, Bruce comes out and he wants to fight. He's <laughs> he, he's ready to wrestle. And I'm like, go to bed, leave me alone. He's like, come on, I'm a five-time Hall of Famer. This is a black belt Hall of Famer. I'm like, get uh, out five-time of here. karate hall of famer. Yeah, karate, <laughs> black belt karate hall of famer. And he wants to tussle. So I start, we, we start messing around. I start tossing him around. And all of a sudden, oh, my back, my back, my back. No, no, no. <laughs> but like, I have tons of stories when it was just Bruce and I um, busting each other's balls and giving each other a hard time um, through our many travels um, because that's what we do. That's what we buddies do. Dave, but, Dave don't let him just tap out like that. <laughs> Make him tap like he means it, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me show you this move that let me show you what Jerry taught me one time. Give me your arm. Give me your arm. I'm like, no, no, no. That's I the said, worst thing ever. You know, these these shooters, you know, not that Bruce is a shooter or not. Wait a minute. I'm taking offense to this right yeah. away. These <laughs> shooters that we're talking about, Bruce. I don't know. I hate when going. a shooter says, give me your arm. No, <laughs> no. no. No, and number, you, you, number one, we're not going to ask you for your arm. We're going to take your arm. I have no doubt that Jerry can get my arm, but he's going to have to take it. Now, I trust Jerry with my arm over trusting Bruce. Good luck, know, all Good luck on that. Good luck on that, right, John? <laughs> yeah. at, least I, at least I know an expert has, has a, can break my arm one way, not Bruce's way. <laughs> Yeah, Bruce he'll make getting, a, he'll make a belt of it. I'll do it. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce getting stretched by Jerry's brother Jack in a limo is one of the oh, greatest stories of all time. He told he told that story um, when we were doing what WrestleMania was that? Was that twenty four? That was WrestleMania twenty four, right? Or, or Orlando, whenever that was. Yeah, know, WrestleMania twenty four. When he was mouthing off to Jack at dinner. Wow. Y'all waited in for no, no, stay here, stay in the limo, stay in the limo until everybody was out. And then Jack, Jack had that limo empty out, everybody, but to me, Jack, and then our wives, our wives witnessed this thing too. And Bruce, and, <laughs> and Bruce, uh, Bruce knew as soon as everybody started, no, Jack, no, not you, Bruce, you tell you what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I love that story. I gotta send you, I clipped out that story. Oh, and put it online because I love that story. So it's much. one of those rites of passages. Danny Hodge got me one time, and I thought, oh. you know, it's pretty cool. I just got stretched by Danny Hodge, except for the fact I couldn't work out for the next three months. <laughs> <laughs> you lived in a wheelchair, but it was a great, it was a <laughs> That's great right. time. I just got stretched by Danny Hodge. I can't move. <laughs> there, there's a classic uh, picture of, of Edge up in, up in Waterloo, Iowa. We're standing there with Danny. We were taking a photo off somebody, but everybody's smiling, and you see that look on Edge's face. He's grimacing, and you look down at the side. Danny got his arm around Edge, and he got a ribcage hook like he's gonna pull, <laughs> like he's gonna pull the damn ribcage right out. And Adam believes that Danny can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I do not want to be in that position ever, ever. 
I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> well, don't wreck any more cars, brother. <sighs> well, I'll try not to. Uh, and are, are we going to see you up in Iowa, possibly? Yes, yes. Oh, great, great. Plan does Conrad does Conrad let you drive his car anymore? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, my wife was in a fender bender, and we and we needed a car. Your uh, wife was. <laughs> it was. A, it was just a, is it contagious? a <laughs> It's in the name. It's in Silva. It was just a fender bender. It was nothing terrible. But Conrad was like, "Here, take one of mine." So we drove. We drove his car just recently. So. Now that that must be nice, Conrad. Take one of mine. You go down. And it probably looks like a like a Mercedes Benz BMW parking lot. <laughs> all these. Well, yes, it's old. Which am I going to take, Conrad? Billionaire Conrad. Am I going to take the the Alfa Romero, or am I going to take the Porsche, or am I going to take the uh, the Hudson, that nineteen twenty two Hudson? Which one am I going to take? The collection of classic cars there. <laughs> Do you get that choice, or is he limit to your choice? Um. Uh, I have driven, I've driven almost all of them. He really doesn't say, oh, don't take that, don't take that. Which one He's, is the one that he doesn't let you drive? There's got to be that one reserve special. Well, the, the Range Rover that his wife drives. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't drove, driven that one, so I guess that would be the one. <laughs> but yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty free with me. Like he knows that now I drive, now I drive his vehicles. Like they're wrapped in bubble wrap. I make sure that I'm clear of all traffic and I'm attended to, and I'm watching everything around me. So no, you, like you, you take Bruce and wrap it around the car. Like <laughs> <laughs> but shouldn't you as a matter of habit, like try not to have wrecks? I mean, is this unusual that you do this only with Conrad's car? <laughs> I've had, like I said, I've had many wrecks, um, but yeah, I tried to stay out of them. They just find me. I don't know what it is. I'm the innocent bystander here, John. I'm the victim. <laughs> it's never my fault. Ever. Never. Well, Dave, we got to ask you uh, before we go, uh, yeah. out of all of the hosts, are me and Jerry your favorite? Look, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on the record here. Um, just so that we finally know in 2023 yeah. that I love you all <laughs> the same. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you know I love you the most because Texas, Texas over everything. So. God bless Texas. God bless Texas. <laughs> well, Dave, hey, thank you so much for joining us. We really we appreciate it. We've been trying to get you on forever. We kind of had to strong arm you today to get you on and you didn't want to do it, but we told you we, we we're gonna do it today and we finally got you. So thank you very much for coming on. No, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Of course, we talk all the time and, and this is us always giving each other a hard time and, and loving on each other. But I really appreciate you guys. I love you guys dearly. And I'm so happy that I'm able to call you all friends. And I hope that everybody enjoyed today's show and a little peek behind all the chaos that happens behind the scenes of these phenomenal podcasts. So thank you. Thank you so what, much. What a business you're having. Looking forward to having uh, seeing you up in Waterloo, Iowa, uh, January 25th to 27th. Uh, looking forward to that. We're honoring a guy we all near and dear to our heart, billionaire Connie, well-deserved honor, the Gordon Soley Award, the third yes. annual. He's, he's the third one. And just look at the guys that he he he's been honored with, are 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 following. Uh, 
Gordon Soley himself, of course, mm -hmm. the great Jim Ross, yes. and, and now Conrad Thompson, and and so it, the 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 room is full of legends. So we're glad yes. to have you. We're glad to have his family up. Glad to glad that uh, ad free shows can make it up there. Looking forward. It's going to be a hell of a party. John's always had a great time in Waterloo, so we'll leave it at that. And Brucey's yeah. going to be there, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And Bruce Pritchard, wow. <laughs> and uh, Jerry, I think it's the 20th to 23rd, isn't it? Yeah, whatever it is. It's okay. July. Look it up. <laughs> get Look your up. tickets. Get your tickets now. You do not want to miss this exactly. wonderful night. It's going to be a great Hall of Fame.